so I've just, you know, got all of my certifications and then um, built the business up kind of brick by brick without having any investors involved. This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hi, everybody. This is Kelsey with Solar Power World magazine. I'm here today with Montana Bush, president of Alternative Energy Southeast that's based in Athens, Georgia. Welcome to the show, Montana. Hi, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's start by talking about how Alternative Energy Southeast is different from competitors. How do you stand out in the Georgia market and beyond? Well, I think a big defining piece of AES is that it was founded by a master electrician and, and NAPSEP certified solar professional rather than, um, you know, someone coming from the business world or an investor. Um, so I've just, you know, got all of my certifications and then um, built the business up kind of brick by brick without having any investors involved. <clears throat> and this, uh, this, I believe, correlates to AES's quality. Um, our sales team is very knowledgeable um, about the different products and their capabilities, and they're able to answer a lot more questions that a customer might ask. Um, so I think that plays a big role. It helps us get more sophisticated projects, really large residential um, battery backup systems for various like mansions and things like that, as well as, you know, just a simple PV on a you know, regular two-story home as well. Um, AES uh, has several true solar advocates on our team as well, uh, where we, you know, put time and resources into supporting solar policy on on the state and federal level. Um, And uh, we donate 10% of our profits to charitable efforts as well. That uh, advocacy piece is seems to always be important. If a company has the resources to advocate for solar policy, it seems like a, a good spend. <laughs> do you agree? Yeah, someone has to do it. That's what I keep telling myself whenever I get to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm very tired or, you know, it's just taking so much energy. And then there's so many attempts that fall flat. Um, you know, and it, it just takes so much effort to put together testimony and, um, you know, and it, we, we just keep, keep pushing forward. And I, I think the message is, is starting to make its way through, um, uh, both sides of the aisle. Um, and so we're, we're actually seeing a lot of Republican leadership, um, seeing solar as, as beneficial. And so that's, um, that's what we're hoping will, uh, help us in the next legislative cycle. Okay. What has been your priority as far as legislation in uh, solar in Georgia? Sure. So, I mean, there's several items that would be really helpful. Um, Net metering would be, uh, would be really helpful. Uh, We're, we're pushing for it for just a monthly netting rather than annual netting. Um, and our, our system size limits are fairly small in Georgia as well. The law only allows us to do 10 kilowatts AC on a residence or up to 100 kilowatts AC for commercial. 
And I mean, for some buildings, that's absolutely, you know, just a drop in the bucket as far as what their energy needs call for. Um, so net metering, system size limits, would love to see virtual net metering to allow for offsite generation. Um, we're, we're asking for that just for the nonprofit and non-taxable entities first to try to, um, you know, at least get a foot in the door and then, um, you know, potentially try to get it for the for the whole customer base in the future. Okay. I know California is working through that virtual net metering piece right now. And I understand it's pretty important for multi-meter properties like affordable family, affordable housing units um, to be able to use something like virtual net metering. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and, and just, you know, even for people who can't afford solar, or they don't have a good site for it. Um, it's a way that they can still invest in solar and have it support their energy needs. But all, all it requires is the utility to allow it. Right. Okay. So I understand um, your company is doing both residential, commercial, you're doing government work. Um, tell me about your residential Tesla solar tile installs. Um, and I understand you've received uh, R&D tax credits for this work too, which is interesting. Yes, indeed. Um, so Tesla approached us in 2020 uh, to ask if we'd be interested in helping them deploy this product. This was shortly after uh, the company announced this, this new Tesla solar roof product um, that everyone's very excited about. Um, and so, of course, we we said yes. They did give us a forewarning that, you know, it's early in the deployment of a product and you, there's expected to be some bumps in the road along the way. Uh, I believe uh, the phrase it is building the airplane in the air. Uh, so it, it was very much that there was there was definitely um, a lot of changes and price increases along the way. Um, that that made some things very challenging with rolling out the product, but um, we've we've stuck with it, and um, now it's it's definitely got a lot of interest. It's a very beautiful product. Um, you, you've never seen a roof anything like it, uh, and even some of the other building integrated solar cells that replace you know the roof building material. Uh, the other ones on the market just they they don't compare. It's it's really a, a beautiful product, um, but yeah, because of all the trial and error that we uh, had to go through in rolling out this product, um, I decided to explore this R and D tax credit, um, and so I I hired a consulting firm who specializes in tax credits. They're called Asina Consulting, and uh, I would highly recommend them. Um, you know, they helped me determine whether or not the types of expenses we incurred were, would be eligible. Um, and, you know, we just had, there's several things that must be um, in, uh, part of the expense for it to be eligible. And it turns out much of what we did uh, was in fact eligible. And even some things unrelated to test solar roof, just in the course of doing business, just trying new things. Um, basically a small percentage of whatever you spend can, uh, can be eligible for this tax credit. So, um, AES was able to actually receive around $90,000 or we're expected to receive it. We, uh, 
we're not quite through the application process yet. Wow. That's, that's really something and just shows you how um, working with tax experts can really <laughs> help out, which has become very clear with IRA stuff. Right. There's definitely want to hire a professional to, to help with that. I think even though they're going to take a, a, a bit of it, it's, it's well worth it. And they're going to keep you, you know, on track and efficient with time. And, um, if, if you're not eligible, they'll, they'll be able to determine that as well. So. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the IRA. Um, how has this new legislation changed the way that AES does business, if at all? Well, when, when the IRA was signed into law last year, um, you know, that the solar tax credit was projected to continue declining in its value. Um, and so we were, as a company, greatly concerned about the future of solar and um, without having a 30% tax credit, it had already gone down to 22 and we were seeing some, some of the effects from that. Um, so having that reinstated, we immediately saw a huge boost in, in leads and sales. Um, and, you know, we just feel more certain about all the effort we're putting into growing this business. So that, I mean, that was just right on time. It was much needed for the solar industry. Um, you know, as interest rates are climbing as well, it's becoming harder to sell solar. Um, so this, this was definitely, uh, needed and uh, appreciated. It seems like more businesses are considering solar now too. Um, so it's really exciting to kind of just see solar leaving the early adopter stage and, and becoming more mainstream. Because uh, there's, there's so many rooftops out there that are just in the sun all day and uh, kills me not to see solar panels deployed there saving the tenants money. And of course, the, the incentives in the IRA for domestic manufacturing too, um, it's it's amazing just seeing how many factory announcements there have been and are starting to pop up. Yeah. Are you guys hoping to source some more U.S. products if possible? Definitely. Um, Q-cells had become unavailable to us during the... Um, period last year where there was just a high demand for solar and there's kind of a shortage. Um, I think it actually started back when the tariff, I guess that was the year before last year. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I think Q-cells had all of what they were producing claimed before it even left the factory. So we lost the ability to, to install those. And we really like Q-cells because they're made in Georgia really high quality panel, um, good price. Um, and so we're, we're, we're able to get those now again. And, um, that's, that's been, you know, part of our, um, part of our pitch is that we use Georgia made solar panels. We'll be right back. This edition of the contractors corner podcast is brought to you by Scanafly, the only drone based solar design software. Learn more about Scanafly at Scanafly.com. Are you a clean energy professional looking to gain insights and discover the latest solutions from key solar, storage, and EV charging infrastructure leaders? 
all in one place? Solar Power World readers are invited to attend InterSolar North America and Energy Storage North America on January 17th through 19th, 2024 in San Diego, California at a discounted rate. Visit InterSolar.us and use the code SPW at checkout to get 20% off a conference pass, which includes access to 500 plus exhibitors, 24 plus education sessions, the solar games competition, networking events, and much more. Now back to the show. What is one way you've cut soft costs at your company through software or otherwise? Well, yeah, the the soft costs can definitely be a burden. And um, our major factor as the company grows, um, generally, there's an economy Mm -hmm. of, of scale. So we're finding the larger that we become as a company, the more solar that we're installing, the more revenue we bring in, um, the economy of scale on soft costs uh, becomes more advantageous for us as well. Um, so, I, you know, that's definitely how like some of these national companies are able to have such a, a small red line. Um, you know, maybe they're only making a few hundred dollars off of each system, but they're, you know, just doing these massive numbers and able to make it work. Uh, whereas for for smaller companies, uh, it's a little more challenging. But I mean, I, I have a lot of reasons why I would recommend someone go with a, a local company, even if they are a little bit more expensive, which isn't always the case either. They're not always going to be more expensive. Um, but generally, just trying to be, you know, more productive with the same amount of overhead, or um, you know, just trying to improve that ratio as as we grow. Um, you know, in some cases, we it's it means terminating an employee who's not carrying their weight. Um, you know, I've, I've had to do that a couple of times through through the years, and uh, it's not easy to do. But in, in the long run, it, it's best for the company in some cases. Um, and you know, just always looking for ways that we can increase productivity. Um, and of course, having a crew who's working safely. Um, insurance rates are very high for solar companies because um, most workers' comp insurance carriers consider what we do roofing, and that's a very dangerous job, um, you know, because of the fall hazard. And then you throw in electricity on top of that that we're dealing with. It's um, it's a high risk type of job as uh, seen by insurance companies. Um, so staying safe, we, we've been able to get our insurance rates down considerably. Um, and yeah, just, just pass those savings on to the customers. What solar technology improvement has made installations easier or better for your company? Hmm. Um, one thing that really sped us up is the evolvement of, uh, roof attachments, um, Five years ago, it was unheard of to to not use something that would like go underneath a shingle and be more of like a traditional type of flashing. Um, you know, I was even skeptical about the types of uh, roof attachments that you just screw down straight to the decking and you don't have any type of flashing that goes under the shingle. Um, but companies put their name and their their warranty behind those kinds of products and um uh, the, I, they, they don't leak. I mean, we, we haven't had any, uh, 
you know, any kind of issues uh, with, with the screw down anywhere type of uh, roof attachments. Um, so they, that has been a huge help in just speeding things up. We also really like using the Soul Arc inverters. That has been a preferred product for us for our energy storage offering. Um, we do still sell a lot of Tesla Powerwalls as well, but um, Soul Arc replaced a whole different type of product that we used to use that had all these different components that um, were individual and they had to be, you know, mounted and piped together and then have all these like hundreds of wires going between each uh, through the whole system um, to where now this this product from Solark is kind of an all-in-one um, where it even has you know the transfer switch built in rated for 200 amps so you can back up an entire house um, it's got the, the the battery and the solar inverter uh, so it's dc coupled which is much more dependable than an ac coupled system um, so yeah, I mean the product it, it just keeps improving, um, and and the monitoring component of it is great as well. Um, you know, I think a lot of the older systems are um, people probably don't know if they're working or not just because they didn't have the uh, advanced monitoring back then like we do today, where you can see like even individual panels to see if uh, you know there may be an issue with a single panel. Um, so. Uh, I think overall that the industry is maturing, the product is maturing and uh, it's everything's becoming more reliable as a result. Yep, that is pretty clear <clears throat> at things like RE plus when you see just so many improvements year over year in the products. Right. I was amazed at how many um, battery storage options there are there now. Uh, just a few years ago, there was there was a very limited number of options, but now there's there's dozens and dozens of different companies offering some sort of home backup power solution. We're seeing our our customers want that more too. Um, you know, the number of systems that include storage now compared to just a few years ago is drastically changed. All right, and my last question for you. What is your view of the future of the U.S. solar plus storage industry? Well, it's exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, part of me just wants the regulatory side to, to hurry up and, um, you know, allow the technology to fulfill its capabilities um, because the technology is there. The economics are there. Um, it, it's really just a matter of, uh, you know, regulatory design. Um, and so organizations like SEPA and SIA, um, as well as others are, you know, on a state level, like Georgia Solar Energy Association, for example, um, are, are working very hard to, to try to educate regulators and utilities uh, about these technologies and their capabilities. Um, for the most part, at least in Georgia, utilities have not been super cooperative or willing to try new things. Um, but we see it happening in other states. And I think, you know, once there's a working model in place, our utilities in Georgia will 
um, potentially uh, experiment with it at that point. Um, <clears throat> but we're talking about things like vehicle to grid, um, um, uh, grid services where your solar inverters that are deployed across the power grid can be used for things like power factor correction or, um, you know, they, they can be uh, remotely uh, programmed and triggered to, uh, to do things that would benefit the grid. Um, and so the grid itself also needs to be upgraded to take full potential uh, from the benefits of solar. Um, you know, to, to work more as a distributed generation type of grid where um, there are switches that allow um, microgrids to form um, and, and that way they can isolate issues in the grid more quickly. You know, when a hurricane comes through, instead of knocking out power to, um, you know, half of the state, wherever there's a damage to the power line that can be isolated so that the rest of the grid can can stay up while that um, one line is being repaired um, and um, i think we need it too because uh you know the cyber attacks are becoming more common um and when all of your powers uh generation capacity is centralized um you know that's a risk uh, it's it's been recognized by the director of the cia among many many other um uh um, people who are paying attention to this kind of thing uh, as an issue, as, as America's greatest vulnerability being our power grids. Um, <clears throat> so I really hope that regulators and utilities can, uh, you know, be open-minded and, and start investing more time and energy into exploring these options. And, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's make it happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like the intermittency argument about solar, that is that is completely outdated at this point with with the cost of of batteries being as low as it is now. So I'm excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. And like you said, there is a long to do list for really integrating solar and storage into the grid the way that it will be most helpful for everyone. Right. Definitely. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Montana. I really appreciate all your thoughts. Absolutely. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as I talk to solar contractors across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online at solarpowerworldonline.com for more great featured content and breaking solar news. See you back here next month.